0: Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley, devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Morning Devotion. This Tuesday morning, November 17. Thank you for being here. I, I just watched your names just pop up and you you guys are so cheery and encouraging in the morning. I, I know you've had I don't know. Nine espressos, twelve cups of coffee. I, I don't know, but I just see you out there, and I and and you make you make me happy each and every morning to see you, Barbara and Vonda and Chauncey, Jan and Colleen. Thank you, thank you for being a part of this and just uniting together in these uncertain times. And this is something we can count on that we can gather together, encourage one another in the Lord, and just see some amazing things begin to happen in our midst and what God is doing in this world and what is happening all around us. There are truly some amazing things happening. Our heart goes out to everyone in the path of these storms. Uh, Some beautiful, beautiful believers and wonderful people in the Philippines suffering because of the storms. Those as well in Central America and everyone, everyone around this world that are dealing with difficulty and adversity. Truly, truly, we need one another now more than ever before. So, Jody and Neil and Sarah and Angela, thank you. Thank you for being a part of our morning devotion uh, group. This is a special day, a special day because I've been promising use something and I've been mentioning it the last couple of weeks and I'm going to start exploring some thoughts with you today. These are these are born of a lot of prayer and study over the last many years. And I'll give you more information in just a moment, but you will, if you don't mind, share the page, follow the page, and let's loop more into this discussion because this is a great discussion of what God is going to do in our midst over these next few days, weeks, months, and perhaps years, if the Lord tarries his coming. So gather in and let's see what God has for us on this Tuesday morning, this Tuesday morning, November the 17th. The remnant must return. Oh my, just to say the word remnant sends chills up and down my spine. It really does. Because it is the word that God has laid on my heart and has laid on my heart and dealt with me for many, many years, but I've never been permitted until now to begin to speak of it. The remnant must return. And this is why I believe this is a special day. Not just that you're here, but God's here. And when we gather together, two or three in his name, he promises to be in the midst of us. I promised you that I would start talking about what God has laid on my heart. Long before I told the story of my name change, my new name in the book on prayer, I had written of it in a book that I laid aside. As with the book on prayer, I shared the story of when and how it happened. I introduced a subject that God had laid on my heart for some time. And, um, but as I began to do research, I found out it was a bigger subject than I anticipated. But it's a subject that burned like a fire inside of my heart. Couldn't get away from it. Saw it everywhere I looked, believed that it was the word for the moment, for the hour. It was then under that old name that I'd been given, challah. It was then that revelations, insights just began to appear, and I began to write them down as fast as I could. I gathered a wealth of materials. I outlined thoughts. I even did some preliminary chapters and begun to write the book. But I and I don't say this lightly, but God stopped me. God stopped me. You know, the same one that opens doors. He also closes doors. And when I tell you God closed the door on this thought, He slammed that door shut, didn't even leave me a sliver of hope or an inkling that I would ever return to this line of thinking. In fact, he led me in a completely different vein. For many, many years, I stayed focused on what I believed. He he wanted me to be focused on. I didn't realize that in writing the book on prayer, it was bringing me back into the stream, and I didn't see the relationship between God, what God had laid on my heart a dozen years ago. Until just a couple of months ago, God whispered, now. It was like the sequencing that he put in my spirit. The sequencing to desire to see a great awakening and to talk about the means of that great awakening it's going to be prayer. It's going to be the wings of prayer that carry us into an awakening in America. It's not going to be talents, It's not going to be glitz. It's not going to be charisma. It's not going to be might. And as much as I love technology, it's not going to be technology. It's going to be prayer that carries us there. Can I get a witness to that? Josie and Alice and Agnes, I believe that with all of my heart. It's going to be prayer. But it was a couple of months ago that God spoke to me and said, now. And it was like the sequencing. He put, he, he put the book on prayer first and the engine of prayer first. But then he said, let me add this card to it. Tell people where we're going. Tell where we're going. And God said, now. And so in the next few days, weeks, and months, I'm going to begin to lay out what God had put in the vault of my heart a dozen years ago. Just a heads up. It can run contrary to what many think in this world today, but I promise you the thoughts that I share are biblically based. They are time-tested, and they're divinely ordained. When believed in practice, they will change your personal life. They will also change your family. They will change the world around you. In fact, I'm going to say this because we drifted from this very elemental understanding. We've been less effective than what we should have been. We've been like an axe with a dull blade. No, let me me put it this way. We've been like the axe handle without an axe head. And we don't realize that without this sharp edge, we are going to lose who we were meant to be as children of God, as the church of God. I need to introduce that word to you. It's a word that I think at first may mean very little to you, but in the days ahead, I believe it will be a word of hope. It will be direction for confusing times. It's going to give you a sense of purpose in a world going crazy. In fact, this concept is going to provide you solace and comfort for the future, but it's also going to provide context for who we are as a people and how we are to live in these days. It's going to help you make decisions. It's going to guide you, your marriage, your family, your church family. It's going to give voice to this longing that's been within you, a sense that you've known all along one that has not been vocalized and put into so many words. It will be the remedy for the malaise that you and I sense in the world, a solution for a world gone mad, and that one word is remnant. I believe in the remnant, and I believe the remnant must return. I wish you would just share this with somebody because here we go, folks. Here we go. Are you ready? Here we go. I believe in the remnant. Do you know the word remnant is used 93 times in the Bible, at least the King James Version? Most of it, most of its usages are in the Old Testament, and most of them are in the major prophets, in the minor prophets. But the concept can be seen throughout Scripture in many different terms. The remnant simply means that which remains, that which is left over. It can refer to a thing like a piece of cloth or curtain. It can even refer to a people, the people who survive judgment, those who remain faithful in spite of compromise and persecution, and those who see the restoration, can I say, awakening of God. Now, do I have your interest here? I hope I do, because this the idea, not the word, first surfaces in Genesis. It's seen throughout the Old Testament. In the prophets, however, it just shines. Noah and his family, well, they were a remnant. They survived the the flood. Joseph told his brethren, he understood why God had allowed evil to come. In the English Standard Version, it says, I... Everything that had happened to me, all of the persecution, all of the suffering, all of the lies, all of the desertion, the desolation, the treachery of my false brethren, all of it was to preserve a remnant on the earth to keep alive for you many survivors. Do you know Elijah got to a place that he thought he was the only one? The only one? I hope this morning, devotion, I hope this morning, devotion sort of chases away from you the idea, the syndrome, the complex that you're all by yourself. There are a whole lot of people out here that believe that God is still at work and is doing something. Oh, can I get a witness to that? So Charles and Cindy, I believe God is doing something. Elijah thought, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'm the single person remnant. I'm the only survivor. I'm the only one left. But God said, no, 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 Elijah you need to know that there's a whole lot more than you can imagine. I got 7,000 people, I know where they're at, that have never bowed a knee to bail those who have spared judgment. The remnant is a whole lot larger than you imagine it to be. We are out here. We are all over the world, and we still believe and we still hold to what God says. It doesn't matter if the multitude may compromise. It doesn't matter if many walk away. There is a remnant. It's the prophets, the prophets who begin to speak to the remnants, that there's going to be a godly people that survive. And from that godly people, restoration comes. It's one of the two primary themes of the book of Isaiah. The, the prophet who, who prophesied accurately the captivity of God's people, the one who prophesied that for a time, it will seem like all hope is gone. But he said, there's a remnant. There's a remnant. In fact, God told Isaiah, I just love this. Would you name your firstborn son, Shear Yashuf? Name him that. Would you name your child that? I wouldn't. Shear Yashuf. What does it mean? A remnant will return. Isaiah, I want you to get this hope burning so deep inside of your heart that you name your firstborn son, a remnant will return. So that every time you call your son, Every time you pick up the phone, well, they didn't have phones back then, but every time you call him, I want you to remind yourself of this promise. There is going to be a returning remnant. There is going, no, we're not the whole. We're not the entirety. We're not the totality. We're not the numbers of other people, but we shouldn't get this grasshopper syndrome and say, we're so small. We're so small. No, no, God wants to use you in this day. Oh, praise God. Why is this important? We need to know that in today. Not everybody that calls themselves a Christian really is one. You remember that you remember that song? There was a song that oh my how did it go? It said uh, not everybody talking about heaven's going there. Yeah, not everybody that says they're a child of God is really a child of God. There are way too many Christians in name only. They are the majority. Can I say it? There are way too many apostolics in name only. There, I said it. Stop and let that sink in. God has never needed a majority. He works better with the committed minority. Isn't that what God did with Gideon? He whittled an army that seemed too small to begin with down to a much smaller number. And with 300, he defeated a much larger foe. God God looks for commitment. He looks for passion. He doesn't look for crowds and lukewarmness. This is the idea of the remnant. And it should give us comfort in this 21st century post-pandemic World, It has in times past. In fact, down through the centuries, the idea of the remnant has kept the children of God. It was in the opening chapter of Isaiah. He said in verse 9, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom. We should have been as Gomorrah. Yeah, that's what Isaiah said. When he looked around, And he said, had God not kept a remnant, a very small remnant, that when judgment was falling, just as God sent two angels and rescued one family out of the cities, the twin cities marked, for destruction. God has kept us from Sodom and Gomorrah. He will keep you. He will keep your family. He will save you. You say, I don't understand this. I I don't understand this. I, I wish I did understand. I wish I could really grasp what God is saying here. But God through the ages works with the remnant. He doesn't need the multitude. He doesn't choose the masses. I, I I would say, comparatively speaking, we're small in number, although it's a very large number in the remnant. It's small, comparatively speaking, with the world. In fact, Jesus, none other than Jesus, said that in comparison with the broad path that leads to destruction, that many go therein. There is a narrow path, and few there be that find it. There were 12 tribes in Israel, 10 carried away captive, two are left, and those two are carried into captivity. But Isaiah said there's a remnant returning. Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, came with them. Nehemiah is their governor. Ezra is their scribe. Just a remnant, Isaiah said, but from that remnant will come restoration, and from that remnant will come the king of glory. I'm talking to you about what the Lord has laid on my heart. He's laid on my heart for a 21st century church, a 21st century church that perhaps began to believe that the multitudes and multitudes were warming up to everything that we believed and that there would be just a gradual assimilation of these people into the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent are going to take it by force. It will never be with the masses that God chooses to move on people but restorations awakening great revival movements began with the remnant with the core of committed people you see that in the life of jesus do you remember do you remember after he fed the 5000 with the five loaves and two fishes there was a multitude that began to follow him i mean it was it was free happy meals of course they were coming it, it was free Chicken make nuggets and fries. Everybody was coming. But then they heard Jesus talk about the call to commitment. And they walk away, and there's only twelve left, the original twelve that he called. And he looked at the twelve and he said, Will you leave too? They said, We can't go. You've got the words to eternal life. A twelve that would become a hundred and twenty in the upper room, a remnant. God worked with those that remained when darkness. When universal idolatry reigned over the world, God found a remnant in the form of Abraham. There is always going to be a faithful remnant. With Noah, there was only eight people. With Lot, he and his two daughters escaped. And isn't it interesting that the comparison that Jesus used for his coming, yeah, yeah, was Lot and Noah, and only a handful escape. Jesus asked when the Son of Man cometh, will he find faith on the earth? Will there be anybody that believes? Will there be any true believers left? I believe there is going to be. I believe it's going to happen through a remnant, through a group of people that decide We know what we know. We know God. We are persuaded that he is able, and we're going to resist the tide of this world. We're not going to be lured into the despair and the hopelessness uh, of this year of 2020, and we're going to let a light burn brighter inside of us than ever before. There was an old painting old painting I believe it was called the Dallas Rapture maybe maybe some of you of certain age remember seeing this painting it was not really professionally drawn but it it depicted what the rapture would look like jesus was in the clouds over the dallas skyline and a a plane missing its pilot had crashed into one of the office towers graves were open people were rising in the sky cars and trucks had crashed as their drivers we're going to meet the Lord in the air. I know there's going to be a great revival in the last days, but as you and I have witnessed through this year, unless there is a great awakening, the overwhelming majority of people are not ready to meet their maker. I don't know how many cars will be driverless in that day. I don't know how many graves are going to be open. I don't know how many pilots will or planes will be unpiloted. There are many, many professing believers. They're not going up in the rapture. Will Jesus find faith on this earth? This is what Isaiah opened with. Except the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant. We should have been as Sodom and Gomorrah. The graciousness revealed by God to Isaiah. Judgment is coming. But would you name, would you name, Would you name this generation? A remnant shall return. The Bible says we are begotten unto a living hope. And we have hope in our heart that regardless of how many are unconcerned, there is a group. There are few who are committed, and regardless of how outsized and powerful the evil may be around us, there is a force, and there is a light, and there is a power burning within us. Do you know the Septuagint? That's the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures uh, that the apostles use. They translated remnant as the word seed. That remnant is seed for the future. It's hope for tomorrow. Though small, it will become thirty sixty and one hundred full, though Elijah felt all alone, God said, "I got seven thousand I got seven thousand seeds that have been planted, and they're going to grow and they're going to become a harvest. The majority may not listen, but we are the seed we are the remnant that is on this earth, and there is a revival through the remnant it's not going to be in the church world it's not going to be this is A year where major voices uh, in the Christian realm have turned their back. On unborn children. They have turned their back on religious freedom. They have so compromised and watered down their belief systems uh, that they don't see what Jesus is doing in the last days. I believe they're embarrassed uh, by the power of the gospel. It's not through the wisdom of man, but it is through the preaching uh, of the gospel. We're going to keep sowing because we know this. Somehow in the midst of this world, There is going to be a revival that no man can number, but that revival will not begin with the masses. It will begin with the remnant, the few that God has spared, the few that God says, I will take out of Sodom and Gomorrah and I will keep them. That was the message of Romans 11. Paul spoke how Israel turned their back on God, but that there remained a faithful remnant. He said, because of the grace of God, the remnant, will be kept because of the grace of God. Oh, praise God. I wish I had time. I don't, maybe in the days to come. I could trace it through history, how there's always been this godly remnant uh, that rises up. And I'm not talking about holier-than-thou people. I'm not talking about people that run to fortresses and build walls around themselves and hide from the world. I'm talking about lights uh, in the darkness, Uh, groups of people uh, that come together, as I mentioned last week, as armies of stars uh, that light up their world. Uh, It's emerged down through time. It's a response to the wickedness of the world, Yes, but that's only partly true. The remnant appears when, oh my, the remnant comes to the forefront when people professing faith begin to fall by the wayside. When there becomes a form of godliness without the power thereof, when there's more believers saying yes to the world than yes to God, when you see backslidden in heart people justify their sins, excuse their wickedness, and glory in their shame and grow cold in their hearts uh, and forget the power of interceding before God, you get ready. It means the remnant is returning. Uh, the remnant must return. It must return. This is a concept that is immune to the passage of time. I know we're in the 21st century, but this was true in the first century. This was a true thousands of years before Christ, that you're going to find the remnant. And from the remnant comes the renewal, the the revival, the awakening. I love Psalm 84. It's one of my favorite psalms. But Psalm 84, five is one of those verses that I could study in perpetuity. I can't find the end of it. Psalms 84 talks about the beauty of coming to God's house, the temple of God. One day, one day in your courts, Lord, is better than a thousand elsewhere. Well, I felt that way during pandemic season. Just to get with believers, it just it's a treasure. We don't grasp it. We don't grasp it. But the average Jew only came to the temple three times a year. and Then only if they lived in the promised land. Many who lived at a distance, they may only come to God's house once in their entire lifetime. It says those who dwell in the courts of God, they are blessed. But what about those whose time and distance and circumstances separate them from the courts of God, the house of God? What about those People who may not be allowed to gather. What about those individuals who someday may be told you can't come to God's house? What about you and me, you and me? What about us in whom the love for God needs to shine brighter than the new day sun? What about us who struggle to be a light in this dark world and we're living it? What happens? What happens if we're not permitted to gather? What happens if we're not permitted to worship God as we once did and we don't gather in company? Well, here's what Psalm 84, five said, blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Oh, my. One translation says, whose hearts are set on pilgrims. In other words, should the day come that I can't get to God's house, I'm not permitted to go to God's house. So long as it's in my heart that I keep the flame of his presence alive. I desire to enter into his presence. At that time, whether I'm in the house of God praising him or I'm outside longing to be there, both of us are pronounced blessed. God blessed in the sight of God. In fact, the psalmist said, these are the people that will go through Baca. They will go through the place of tears and will transform that wilderness into a place of string. I'm talking about remnant people. There is a happiness within the heart of the remnant. Why? Because we know this world is not it. Uh, This world is not all that we have. When we look around and see what's happening, it means God is preparing a remnant. He's preparing a people for a world to come. And ultimately, someday, we're going to live in his presence forever. But for now, I keep that hope in my heart. It's the hope uh, burning. I told you there were two things themes in the book of Isaiah. Let me close with this. One is that a remnant will return. You name your child, Isaiah, a remnant shall return. The other is the coming of the Messiah. Those who keep alive in their hearts, the hope of his coming, we are the seeds, the seeds that are sown into this world from which the awakening will come. This is the hope of your family, of your small group, of your prayer team, of your church, of your city. This is the hope, a grouping of like-minded people that the Bible calls a remnant. We and others like us, we are the hope of this generation, the remnant must return. Would you share this with someone and please share with me in the days ahead as I open my heart and begin to talk about what I see God doing in the midst of this world. Leave your prayer requests out the side. Give some people some thumbs up and encouragement. Encourage one another as you always do and may God be with you. Share one with another. I look forward to seeing you very, very soon.